Hello, this is Pastor Ryan Clark. You are listening to a message from St. John's Lutheran Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall declare your praises in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is Ramiro Alanis. And if you think you've wasted a lot of time this day, week, month, or year, consider this. Romero here is the world record holder for most cinema productions attended of the same film. It's a record he earned by seeing the movie Spider-Man No Way Home in theaters a whopping 292 times over a three-month period. That is a lot. Frankly, anything over 291 viewings of the same film seems a bit excessive to me. And this is excessive. Consider this. With a runtime of about two and a half hours, it means our man Ramiro here spent 730 hours or, and it's never good when you measure these kind of things in days, 30.42 days watching the same film in theaters in just a three-month period. And that doesn't count the previews or anything else he might have done at the theater. That is quite the price to pay in time. Also consider he paid the actual physical price of $3,400 for those 292 movie tickets. Not much for the budgeting skills there. Now, if I ran into Ramiro right now, I'd have a couple questions to ask him considering the price that he was willing to pay in both time and money. The first is probably the one that's on your mind right now. Why? Why would you possibly do something like this, Ramiro? What could have possibly possessed you? The second question I'd have to ask him is a little bit more relevant to the discussion we're about to have this evening. Ramiro, how were you able to remain attentive to the story after seeing it so many times? And brothers and sisters in Christ, he was attentive. He had to be for his record to count. According to sources, for his record to count, he couldn't fall asleep. He couldn't look at his phone. He couldn't even get up and go to the bathroom, something he actually found out about the hard way, considering 11 of his viewings were totally disqualified. So he was attentive. How? Well, after watching various interviews and reading between the lines, piecing together information, it turns out he had two major ways he was able to remain attentive. The first he remained attentive by watching other people who were seeing the story for the first time react to certain exciting plot points. So he knew this story like the back of his hand, right? He'd seen it 292 times. But there were other people in the theater experiencing it for the first time. And he was able to have a rejuvenated excitement by watching them experience it for the first time. The second reason he was able to remain so attentive is he'd heard if he broke the record, he might get to meet the main character Something he did upon his 292nd viewing, Spider-Man himself, Tom Holland. There he is with him. So, why am I talking about this? Why are we together on Christmas Eve right now talking about Ramiro Alanis? Well, I'd hazard a guess that that story that Pastor Clark just read, maybe it's one that many of you are familiar with. Maybe for you, it was the 292nd time you've heard the story of the first Christmas. Maybe it was the 293rd time you've heard the story of the first Christmas, which presents a bit of a challenge for me as your pastor. 
how will I be able to keep you all attentive while listening to a sermon about this story that you have heard so many times? What am I to do? It was a question I had to ask myself this week while writing this sermon. And then it hit me. We could do what Ramiro did. What kept him so attentive? Well, he remained attentive by watching other people who were seeing the story for the first time react to certain exciting plot points. And we have the opportunity to do just that. Because in our lesson tonight in Luke 2, there are people experiencing the first Christmas for the first time. In Luke 2.8 it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. What do you say over the next few minutes we get in the sandals of one of these here shepherds and see what I imagine what I imagine his experience would have been like that first Christmas. It's going to be rather exciting for him, and I hope it rejuvenates your excitement just watching him experience this first Christmas. Now, before we really dig into this story, though, let's get a little background on Mr. Shepherd here. Let's get to know him just a little bit. Now, he certainly would have been the youngest child in his family. The youngest was always the shepherd. That's just the way it worked in ancient times. That's the way it worked in ancient Israel. And he probably never would have gotten more than a couple of miles from the outskirts of Bethlehem. He had to stay where the sheep were, after all. While his brothers and sisters were out doing more important things, as they so often like to remind him, he was stuck there with the sheep. He would probably describe his life himself as dull, tedious, depressing, and lonesome. After all, it was just him and the sheep. Not a lot of people wanted to spend time with the shepherd. No one, in fact, really wanted to spend any time with him. And why would they? To even get out to see our shepherd friend, first you would have had to make a long hike through several fields. On your hike, you would have probably been accosted by all kinds of biting insects. If you could get through that long hike and the biting bugs, well, then you would have to deal with the man himself. And let's just say he wasn't exactly a sight for sore eyes. Not a lot of opportunities for bathing as a shepherd in ancient Israel. And so the sight of him would have been offensive. The smell of him would have been even more offensive. And if you could get through the barrage that this guy was on your senses, well, then you had to actually talk to him. Something that most people weren't really willing to do with a shepherd. You see, In ancient times, shepherds were considered the lowest of lows. Maybe you've heard of how lepers were outcasts. Well, shepherds were basically on that level, maybe a half a step above a leper in this society. They were so lowly, in fact, that their testimony, it didn't even count in the court of law. They could see a crime happen firsthand. They could be the only eyewitness. They could run and tell the judge, and the judge would say, Why do I care what you have to say? You're just a lowly shepherd. No one cares what you have to say. And it gets even worse. If you came into too close a contact with a shepherd, you would become unclean. And I'm not talking about being physically dirty, even though apparently there was a good chance of that. No, you would become ceremonially unclean. That means you would not be able to enter the temple to worship God. No, no one wanted anything to do with shepherds. And our shepherd friend, he probably knew all of these things. He certainly did based on the way that people treated him over the years. He knew he was nothing special and no one would choose to spend time around him. But then again, 
God does not choose like we do, does he? In fact, God so often chooses just the opposite of the way we choose. We have a God who, according to 1 Corinthians 1.27, chooses things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chooses things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And so it should be of no surprise that God chooses the lowest of lows, this lowly shepherd, to bestow one of the greatest honors on in the history of the world. We don't know exactly what he would have been doing that evening when all of these events occurred. Maybe it started with him warming himself by the fire, thinking some of these negative thoughts about his boring shepherd life. When all of a sudden what happens? The lights in the sky just brighten up. It's the brightest sky that maybe he has ever experienced, especially considering it's night. He is absolutely blinded by the light, isn't he? And as he begins to adjust his eyes, he realizes that his silent night has become a holy night and that an angel of the Lord had appeared right before him. Now, he doesn't believe his eyes at first. He rubs them again. He thinks, I must be dreaming. If he's being honest, it wouldn't be the first time he had fallen asleep on the job. After all, it is a pretty boring job sitting there watching the sheep. And so he rubs his eyes again. He splashes a little water in his face. And he looks up, and that angel of the Lord, he's still there. He's not dreaming. And the Bible says what he saw terrified him. Now, we don't know exactly what this angel would have looked like at this time and place. But we know based on the fact that our shepherd friend was terrified that this was not some chubby baby with wings the way so often angels are depicted. No, this is a warrior of light. And this warrior of light, he begins to talk to our shepherd friend. In Luke 2.10, he says, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Can you imagine being one of the first to experience this incredible good news? And this shepherd, he's blown away by it, right? He's sitting there thinking to himself, wow, what an incredible thing that would be. And as he's sitting there thinking about the angel's words more and more, he comes to a conclusion that one of only two things could possibly be true with what's going on here. Either I'm insane or I'd be insane not to go and see this. Either I need to get checked out or I need to go and check this out. He believes what his eyes see. He believes what his ears hear. He starts making that journey to Bethlehem. He starts running to Bethlehem. On his way there, after going through a couple of fields, he passes by another shepherd who's there staring up at that same angel. And just to make sure he's not going insane, he turns to that shepherd and he says that famous line, do you see what I see? And the shepherd He's just speechless. All he can do is nod, yes. And then this night gets even more incredible because of what happens next. In Luke 2.13, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Multitude of angels is there. 
Now, I'm sure you would guess at least that a multitude, that means a lot. But sometimes I think we underestimate a little bit of how many angels there were actually present on this first Christmas. The Bible only talks about angels as a multitude in one other place, in Revelation 5.11. And it actually gives us a number to work with. It calls a multitude many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. Now, I know no one wants to do any math here on Christmas. But it is only Christmas Eve, so a little math in store here. 10,000, 10 times 1,000. It's easy, right? One times one, we carry a few zeros. That's 100 million angels. That's a lot, isn't it? It's safe to say there were a fair few angels present that these shepherds see on that very first Christmas. And if they weren't running already, their butts are truly now in gear. They are sprinting to Bethlehem. They turn to each other and say, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they run straight to that little town of Bethlehem. And it truly is a little town. Historians estimate that at the time of Jesus' birth, Bethlehem had about a thousand or so people living in it. One historian I found this week said that there were only about 300 people living in Bethlehem at the time of Jesus' birth. That's only about 10% of the size of a town like Maple Lake, right? That is a little town. And considering how little it is, it should be so easy to find this king, right? What would you do if you went to a town and were looking for the king? You'd go to the biggest house in town. You'd go to the biggest hotel in town. And there you would find him. But the shepherds had already heard where this king of kings, this little baby God's son, was going to be. He wasn't going to be at some palace, some hotel. He was going to be in a manger of all places. And so our shepherd friends, they ask a couple of pointed questions from some townsfolk, and they make their way out to a cave just outside of town, and they find the baby just like the angels said they would, away in a manger. And our shepherd friend, he can't help himself. When he finds this baby just like the angels said he would, he falls to his knees and he starts worshiping. And while he's worshiping the king of kings, the thoughts that are rolling through his head are something like this. What child is this? What kind of king? What kind of God would come into the world like this and reveal themselves first to someone like me? And after a few minutes, he finally gets back to his feet. And the only thing he can think to do is turn to what appears to be this boy's father and ask him this question. What did you name him? To which Joseph simply responds, Jesus, which of course in Hebrew means God saves. And that's exactly what this baby Jesus would go on to do. He'd go on to save the world. But then again, you probably already knew that, didn't you? Because you have probably heard this story a time or two. You know that that baby boy, that he grows in wisdom and stature, as it says later on in Luke chapter 2, and as he grows older and older, each step he takes is leading him a step closer to the cross. And each step that he takes is absolutely perfect. And with his perfect life, he makes it to the cross and he dies a perfect death, paying the price for my sins 
paying the price for your sin, paying our debt in full. And in doing so, he removes the separation that was between you and God. And now you have the opportunity to experience an eternal relationship with God, one that starts today and lasts forever. What an incredible thing that is. And consider with me just for a minute, our shepherd friend, a little more. Just like Ramiro Alanis got to meet the star of the story, Spider-Man, no way home, face to face. Our shepherd got to meet the main character in our story, Jesus Christ, face to face. The one that offers the way home to God. What an incredible thing that is. And he does just what he should in that moment. In Luke 2.20, as our reading closes, it says that he returned glorifying and praising God for all the things he had heard and seen, which were just as he had been told. What an incredible story, right? As we close out this message tonight, what are some things that we could learn from experiencing this story once again firsthand from the shepherd's point of view? What can we take away? Well, there's just a couple of very simple lessons that I hope you learn tonight, and they truly are simple. First, we should learn from the shepherd this. He ran as fast as he could to meet Jesus, and so should you. You get the opportunity each and every day, each and every morning, to run to Jesus and receive his mercies anew. And you should run as fast as you can to do just that. Meet him in his word. Meet him in prayer. And who wouldn't do something like this? He's the king of kings. He's the one who values you and chose you despite what everyone else thinks. We see that in the story of the shepherd. He is the one who forgives each and every mistake you've ever made, each and every sin. Run to him as fast as you can. The second lesson, also very simple. He told everyone he could about Jesus, and so should you. What did he do right after he found that baby? He hustled right out of Bethlehem, and he runs and tells everyone that he can about Jesus Christ on the way. What an honor to bestow on someone like him. Consider, this is someone who wasn't even allowed to witness in court, and he gets to be one of the first witnesses of Jesus Christ. And then he gets to be one of the first to witness to other people about what he saw. What an honor that is to bestow on someone like that. And the same honor has been bestowed on you. Be like that shepherd. Run and tell everyone you can about Jesus. And that's basically my prayer for you this Christmas Eve. Whether you have just heard this story for the first time or the hundredth, I pray that you receive it with renewed joy. May you experience Jesus once again with renewed joy. May you run to him each and every day and get what he is trying to give to you, his mercy, his grace, his joy. And then may you go and tell everybody that you can find about Jesus. May you go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. John's Lutheran Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. If you would like more information about St. John's and any of our ministries to our community and beyond, you can go to our website, www.stjohnsbuffalo.org. Thank you and God bless you.